Many of you have surely heard of the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, there's an Indiana Jones movie about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was something that was prescribed by God and built by the priest of Israel during the time of Moses. The Ark was sort of a chest overlaid with gold with two artistic renderings of angels on the top, the angels called the cherubim. Uh, they had this, this artistic rendering of them on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, which is in the New Testament, actually tells us what was inside the Ark. We see it it's had the gold altar, altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered with gold on all sides in which inside the Ark of the Covenant was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Tablets of the covenant being the law of God, the Ten Commandments on the tablets of the covenant. So these are the things that were inside the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to dive today into a story about the Ark of the Covenant that may come off to some of you as a little strange, perhaps a little weird that it happened the way it happened, but we're going to talk about that today. Before we go any further into this story, into the Ark of the Covenant, let's ask the Lord, the God of the Ark, to bless us as we study His Word. Join me now in prayer. God, we do declare You are the King of our hearts. And God, we do acknowledge that we are sometimes facing darkness, difficulty, the night is holding on to us. But God, we are so grateful that through the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, there is victory for those who call upon your name. And we know that you are holding on. But I'm certain someone in this room today needs to be reminded that you are in control, that you love us, and that you are good. So as we study your word, Lord, remind us of that. Even through this difficult, perhaps weird story that we're studying today, help us to see who you are and who we should be made in your image and called according to your purpose to be made in the image of Jesus Christ, our King. Lord, I pray you encourage those who need encouragement. Convict those who need conviction and draw us closer to you by the power of Jesus Christ and the power of your Spirit who is always with us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's look at this passage and we're going to talk a little bit about it. Today's sermon is entitled, One Bad Decision. And you'll see why in just a moment. So look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1-11. through 11. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. You can follow along in any translation you would like if you don't have a bible there's one near you in the pews or in the seats in the back you can take that home with you if you don't have a bible it'd be our gift to you second samuel chapter six david again assembled all the fit young men in israel thirty thousand he and all his troops set out to bring the ark of god from belal judah the ark bears the name the name of the lord of armies who is enthroned between the cherubim they set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God 
from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, so he named the place Outburst Against Uzzah, as it is today. David feared the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained in his house three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. Okay, we're going to stop there. Sort of a strange story. Sort of a weird story from the Bible, which is why it's part of the series called Weird Stories from the Bible. So let's talk a little bit about the ark. So first, if you're taking notes, let's answer this question. What's going on with the ark? What's going on with the ark? Now, I've already told you a little bit about what's in the ark, how it came to be, and so forth. But we want to talk more about the ark. You see, the ark was not merely a relic with special artifacts inside. It did have artifacts, and it was something that the people made, but it was not merely a relic with special artifacts inside. The ark actually represented the presence of God. The ark itself represented that God was with them. So when God's people carried the ark into battle, they would take it with them as they marched out into battle. When they took the ark with them into battle, generally speaking, they were victorious. And other times, the enemies of God would steal the ark from the Israelites, and when they stole the ark from the Israelites, generally speaking, the enemies of God suffered as a result because the ark was not supposed to be with the enemies of God. It was supposed to be with the people of God. You see, the presence of God was tied to the ark of the covenant. And at this point in the Bible, in our story, in 2 Samuel 6, David is king of Israel, perhaps the greatest human king of Israel, and David wanted to set up a new capital for his kingdom in worship in Israel in a place called Jerusalem. So the ark was being held at someone's house, and it was close to the borders of one of Israel's greatest enemies. In fact, many times as children we learn about the big bad Goliath. He was one of the Philistines. The greatest enemy during the time of Saul and Samuel and David was the Philistines. And so David set off with 30,000 fit young men. And he has this plan to bring the ark closer to his new home, closer to his new capital, and further away from the Philistines. And they seek to bring the ark back. Now David probably brought this large army really for two reasons. One is just to show off how powerful he was. Because there was great prosperity in the land of Israel when David was king. And David is showing off, these are my 30,000 fit young men, okay? So that's probably one of the reasons, but also because David genuinely probably wanted to protect the ark as it traveled back to its new home. However, even though 30,000 men were brought to protect the ark, 
It only took one man to mess things up. I think that's ironic how we see that. 30,000 men to make sure things went right. And one man messed it up. So second, let's look at what's going on with this guy's death. What's going on with this guy's death? Of course, the guy is Uzzah, or you might say Uzzah. I like saying it that way, Uzzah. This is the weird part where many of us, where we think, why in the world would God strike Uzzah dead for touching the ark? I would say nearly everyone who's ever read this story, the first time they read it said, what's going on there? Why is this guy dying for trying to catch the ark? In fact, many of us would simply say, this is an instinctual reaction. Our instincts would be, if, if the ark is falling... Because of the ox stumbling, it's instincts to reach out and grab it. However, if you think about it, that's the problem. You might say, I don't get it. Well, pay attention to this. Yuza's instincts should have been to revere the holiness of God and the law of God. That should have been his first instinct is to do what God commanded that they do. But instead, he relied on his natural instincts. His instincts were man-centered, not God-centered. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not buying it, Pastor Matt. What in the world are you thinking? Well, hang with me here. Hang with me for just a moment. You see, the Ark of the Covenant actually represented, as I've said, the very presence of God. It was not just any other object it was to be carried as the holiness of god in fact they were not left on their own to figure this out god had already spoken to them about this god had already given specific instructions not to touch the ark numbers chapter 4 verse 15 says this aaron and his sons aaron was the high priest during the time of moses aaron uh, moses brother by the way aaron and his sons are to finish covering the holy objects and all their equipment, whenever their camp is to move on, the Kohathites will come and carry them, but they are not to touch the holy objects, or they will die. Very clearly. This is way before the time of David. And God said, very clearly, do not touch the holy objects, or you will die. Further, God had already demonstrated throughout the scripture time and time again that the ark did not need to be protected by humans. It did not need to be detected from, protected from humans. God can take care of himself. In 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, we read of how the Philistines stole the ark of God. They, some of you may remember this story. They stole the ark of God and they put it in the temple of the false god Dagon. They put it in the temple of the false god Dagon. And what happened is, when they put it in and they left it there, they came back the next morning, they had a big statue of their false god Dagon, and Dagon was face down, broken. You see, the ark of the god can take care of itself. And the people of uh, the Philistines realized, our god Dagon's being torn apart, so they moved the, the ark of the covenant away from the temple of Dagon. Then they moved it to the people of Ashdod. And there in the city of Ashdod, uh, the people began to develop tumors on their bodies as the Ark of the Covenant was not where it was supposed to be. There were no Israelites taking care of the Ark. 
God was doing it all by himself. And so the people of Ashdod said, well, we don't want it here. So then they moved the ark to Gath. And there in Gath, they started having problems as well. And then the same thing happened in the city of Ekron. So we're going from a temple of Dagon to Ashdod to Gath to Ekron. Everybody say that three times fast. And God took care of himself. God took care of the ark when the Philistines stole it. Listen, church, this, God took care of himself so much that the Philistines said, we have got to get rid of this thing. So they took the Ark of the Covenant, put it on a cart with an ox, and surrounded it with an offering of gold and sent it back to the Israelites. They're like, we don't know what we got ourselves into, but please take this back, and you can have all this gold too, okay? We're good, right? Let's consider that we're good after this, okay? So they sent, and God did all of that on his own. Because the presence of God was tied to the ark, and God said, I will take care of myself. Furthermore, the people of Israel already had an example of what not to do when it came to messing with the ark and the things inside of it. In first Samuel, we're in 2 Samuel 6 now. In 1 Samuel 6, when the Philistines finally sent the ark back with the, on the ox cart with the offering of gold, they sent it to a place called Beth. Shemesh. That's fun to say, Beth Shemesh. They sent it to Beth Shemesh, and some of the people of Israel in Beth Shemesh got curious. These are Israelites now. They got curious, and they looked inside the ark just to see how things were. And what happened was God struck down 70 people, 70 of his people. Why? Because they violated the law of God. They did not revere. By the way, if you don't know what that word means, it means to deeply respect. They did not deeply respect the holiness of God and the law of God. And God struck them down. This all happened, in case you didn't know, 1 Samuel 6 is before 2 Samuel 6. And so they should have had an example of what not to do. And this is how the people responded. In 1 Samuel 6.20, they responded, Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God. The people were learning God is holy. And his ways must be revered. His ways must be respected. So the people of Israel should have known better when it came to messing around with the ark of God. What's even more, David allowed, perhaps David, King David even commanded, but at the least he allowed that the ark be carried on a cart with an ox. However, for those of you who are perceptive, perhaps you've studied the ark of the covenant, this was not how God prescribed that the ark of the covenant was to be carried. We see in Exodus, the book of Exodus, where God instructed the people how to carry the ark. We see in 25 verses 12 through 14, cast four gold rings for it, that's the ark, and placed them on its four feet, two rings on one side and two rings on the other side, make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark in order to carry the ark with them. You see, uh, this is probably, this is an artistic rendering of probably how the, something like what the ark would have looked like right there. Oh, let me try it again, right there. Well, there it is. Okay. And so uh, they had these four rings on the bottom of the ark, and these poles would go in, and the priest 
were supposed to carry the ark. Now, some of you might say, well, what's the big deal? Why can't you just throw it on an ox cart or throw it in the back of a pickup truck or whatever? This was the ark of God. This was God's holy presence. And God commanded that this is how it's supposed to be carried for a reason. What's the reason? We don't know, but God knows. And it's God's word and God's command. And the people of Israel under David's leadership ignored God's command to carry the ark how it was supposed to be carried. Now, there's one thing that came to me as I was doing my study this week. There was another example of somebody carrying the ark on an ox cart. There was. You know who that was? It was the Philistines, the enemies of God. Rather than God, or rather than David carrying the ark the way God prescribed, he decided to do it the way the Philistines did it. I mean, that's a sad reality that we've come to here in this story. You see, church, sometimes we look at this story and we think that Uzzah was just innocently reaching out to save the ark. And it appears at first glance that this is actually what's happening. However, as we dive into it, what we really see is a loss of reverence and honor for the holiness of God. We see a loss of reverence and honor for the holiness of God. In fact, the title of this sermon is One Bad Decision, but the fact of the matter is there were several bad decisions made along the way. I probably should come up with a different sermon title. Several bad decisions. But this seemingly one bad decision was caused by other bad decisions, including David getting sloppy with how the ark was to be carried, and including Uzzah getting sloppy with reaching out to grab the Ark of the Covenant. And the result of this irreverence, the result of this sloppiness, was the death of Uzzah. By the way, no indication that he was an evil man of any kind. But a a, a result of the sloppiness and the irreverence led to his death. And that brings us to our final point, what's going on with how serious God is. What's going on with how serious God is? Some of us may read this, and perhaps by the word of God you are convinced, okay, I do now see that David, or that Uzzah wasn't simply killed by an instinctual reaction. I do understand that this was something God commanded and something God uh, gave us examples of what not to do, and and they still did it. I understand that now, but, but why is God so serious about this? Why is he so concerned? Well, Church, this is certainly not the only time in Scripture that someone died because they disrespected the holiness of God. If you want to just jot some of these down, we don't have them all on the screen, but in Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron the priest, these are sons of the priest. They presented an unauthorized offering to the Lord, and they were both consumed by the fire of God. In Numbers chapter 16, God swallowed up the entire clan of Korah because they rebelled against God's man, Moses. God said, stand back, I'm taking them out. And he did. In Joshua chapter 7, God was cursing all the people because someone had done something wrong. And the people, of Joshua, people under Joshua's leadership tracked it down to a man named Achan. Achan's family was lying about stealing from the treasury of God that the people had collected as they went about their conquest. And the people of Israel, with God's blessings, 
stoned to death Achan's entire family. And once they did, then God removed the curse that was upon the people, indicating he was pleased with their action. In Acts chapter 5, you might say, well, that's just Old Testament stuff. Okay, Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira are killed instantly by lying about what they had given to the church. In the New Testament, they had lied to the early church, and they said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God struck them dead instantly and carried their bodies out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, we talked about this Wednesday night, Paul says that some have gotten sick or even died from taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. God is serious about holiness. He's serious about his ways. I could go on. These are not all the ones in the scriptures. I could go on, but here's the point. God is serious about his holiness. He's serious about his ways. And the Bible continually points us to the holiness of God. I've got a few rapid fire scriptures I want to share with you on the screen concerning the holiness of God. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 14. By the way, if you can't keep up with my speed, these, this will all be online later tonight. And uh, you can contact me anytime and check it out as well. But in Malachi chapter 1, verse 14, God says, My name will be feared among the nations. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, we have a picture of heaven, and we hear the angels continually call out, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, it says, Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Psalm chapter 96, verse 9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. God is certainly full of grace. God is certainly full of love. He is certainly full of mercy. And he is certainly full of holiness. And further, he expects holiness from his people. This is what's going on in 2 Samuel chapter 6. God expects holiness from his people. Which brings us to our bottom line. We serve a holy God. We serve a holy God. God is holy, and his ways are holy. Here's a, this is the literal bottom line, but here's the expression. Here's the bottom line. If God says not to touch the ark, God's people ought not touch the ark. That's, that's what's going on here. If God says not to touch the ark, they ought not to touch the ark. It's sort of like with your children, right? When you're cooking on the stove, and you tell your children, be careful, that's hot. And they touch it. And they burn their hands. What do you say? I told you, that's hot. <laughs> right? God said, do not touch the ark or you will die. They touched the ark. What happened? He died. This is what's going on. We, we have, the people of uh, Israel at that time had lost 
reverence. In fact, the scripture says in verse, um, says in verse 7, Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence. That's what's going on. They, they were not having a reverence for the ways of God. See, Uzzah's instinct may have been to catch something when it was falling, but his instinct should have been to revere the Lord God and to remember his holiness. And when that ark starts falling, to say, whoa, hey, aren't we supposed to have this on some poles anyways? What's going on here, right? And that brings us to some questions for us. In what ways are you not revering the holiness of God? How about us as a church? Are we respecting the ways of God? What do we do instinctively that actually goes against what God has commanded for us? You see, our instincts may be to do something that grows our church quickly rather than do something that develops disciples. Our instincts may tell us to Sleep in a few extra minutes rather than do what God has commanded us by waking up and reading his word and spending some time in prayer. By the way, I'm not legalistic. You don't have to read the Bible and pray in the morning. I'm just giving an example. You can do it in the evening, do it in the middle of the day, both, all. Yeah, that's fine. But our instincts may be to spend a little extra time on Facebook or spend a little extra time in bed or spend a little extra time doing something different than doing what God has commanded us. Our instincts may tell us to ignore the strange person on the street rather than tell them about how God loves them and wants a relationship with them through Jesus Christ. Our instincts may drive us to hold on to bitterness when someone hurts us rather than to extend forgiveness as Jesus clearly commanded. Our instincts may tell us that a little gossip won't hurt anybody rather than seeking to honor others and the church by forsaking gossip. Our instincts may tell us to look out for ourselves first rather than being like Jesus who looked out for the good of others. Our instincts may lead us to Honor leaders who pretend to be strong, pretend to be brilliant, pretend to be powerful, rather than, as the Bible teaches us, is to honor leaders who are humble, wise, and godly. Our instincts may lead us to want to do church the way we want it, with our traditions, with our preferred music, with our preferred air temperature, and with our favorite sermons, rather than be intentional and all that we do to worship and glorify God and reach multiple generations of people from our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes our instincts can lead us to be less like Jesus and more like sin. May we desire to develop holy instincts that are developed by a devotion to our holy God. May we respond as Jesus did when he was starving hungry from 40 days of fasting. And his instincts would have been, somebody bring me a Big Mac. And, the, and, the, and Satan tempted him and said, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it 
is written. He relied on his instincts from the word of God and the ways of God. And he resisted the instincts, the temptation that come from the flesh, from the human side. And he had a greater holy instinct to say, I will be faithful to God, for it is written in his word to not test the Lord your God, to not bow to anyone else, to not forsake his ways. May we have that same reaction when our instincts tempt us to forsake the holiness of God. Challenge yourself this week in the following one way. I've been giving you easy road the last couple weeks. One weekly challenge. (laughs) Consider your reverence for God's ways. Remember, reverence means deep respect. Consider your reverence for God's ways. First of all, are you even concerned with what God has to say to you? That's part number one. Are you even, do you even care? Second, how much value do you put in what God does have to say to you? You might say, yeah, I care. I want to hear. I want to hear what God has to say, sure. But then once you do, how much, value, how much impact does that have in your life? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I've heard many Christians say, if the Bible says it, it's good enough for me. By the way, I agree with that. The question is, do we really mean that? Do we really believe that? Not only do we believe the word of God, but do we treasure the word of God? Do we obey the word of God? Do we value, revere, and respect God's ways? So take some time this week. Challenge yourself to answer that question in your own life. Don't try to answer for somebody else. Try to answer it for yourself. Now, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of conclusion, a time of response where we all respond to the ways of God and how he's teaching us in this passage. Some of us, honestly, may still be struggling. You're just like, Pastor, I'm just not sold. That's okay for God to kill that man. Okay, tell the Lord that. I'm serious. Take that to the Lord and say, Lord, show me. Show me your ways. Show me your heart. Show me yourself so I can understand this and then give me a heart that's devoted to you. Every Christian in this room, I want to challenge you as we sing about how much God loves us that we'll challenge ourselves to be open to let this passage of Scripture steer us closer to a reverence of God and His ways. If you're not here today and you don't have a relationship with God, perhaps you have no reverence for the ways of God. Oh, don't you know, there really is a God. And he really is holy. And he really is serious about his holiness. And here's what else. He really does love you. And he really does want a relationship with you. And here's the fact. God is all-knowing. The fancy word for that is God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And he knows that you and I cannot measure up when it comes to being holy. He knows that. 
And that's a big problem. Because the Bible says our sin separates us from God. Not only that, it brings judgment. We also will die. As Yuza died, not only a physical death, but a spiritual death because we have neglected and forsaken the holiness of God. The Bible is very clear about that. And that's a problem. I don't know about you, that's a problem for me. And Jesus, God said, I'm going to fix that problem. And he fixed it by sending Jesus, the Holy One, who could be holy enough, who could satisfy all the requirements that God has in reverence of his holiness. And not only that, he gave his life in the place of someone who was unholy. He suffered a criminal's death. What he deserved on the cross, what what he deserved was to be exalted as king, but rather he paid what he did not deserve, what a criminal would have deserved by dying on the cross, what we deserve because of our sin. Jesus paid that. He died on the cross in our place to satisfy the righteous punishment for sin so that we could be forgiven. Jesus didn't stay dead on the cross. He rose from the dead demonstrating he had power over death. He had power over the grave. He had power over evil. He had power over darkness. He had power over all negative things, all sin. He rose from the dead. And the Bible says, just as Christ was raised to new life, so we can be raised to a new way of life. With the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we now can be holy. We can satisfy God's ways. We can do what God calls us to do because we have been set free from sin and set to a new way of life. Not only that, when Jesus went back into heaven, he says, I'm sending a helper, an advocate, a counselor, the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is with us and guides us and teaches us how we can live as God's people. The Bible says the wages, the payment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as we sing in just a minute, if you've never given your life to God, I hope that God will convince you that he is holy and that in our sin we are not. And I hope he will convince you that there is a way to be made right with God and it's through the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you'll realize that, you'll recognize that, and you'll call out to God. you say, God, save me. Save me from my sin. Give me Jesus. Give me yourself. Make me new. The Bible says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord. I'll be standing down here with my family singing as well. You might have a question. You might want someone to pray with you. You might want to make some sort of decision. I would love to talk to you as we sing. Please come down. I'd love to talk to you. as we, I can stop singing for that. I promise you. I love singing, but I'll stop singing for that. I'd love to talk to you. Maybe for some reason you're not coming down. Please find me after the service. Find one of our other pastors. Talk to us about how God can change your life. If you're already a follower of Jesus and you need to make some sort of other spiritual decision, you need to spend some time in prayer right here. However God is leading, be faithful. Be faithful. God is holy. And he wants us to be holy, church. Let us seek him and revere his holiness. Join me now in prayer as we prepare to sing.